This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Ready Rest, Hunt here on South Dakota, Mr. Heater, and Hoxie Native Seeds. Today, we've hit a milestone. This is our 200th episode of the Flush Podcast, and we're celebrating with you, our loyal listeners. We've got an excellent lineup of guests today with stories that we hope you all enjoy. Hey, we're looking forward to seeing you at Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and so are our friends at Onyx Hunt. Onyx Hunt will once again be hosting a big after-hours bash called offline at Pheasant Fest. It's on Friday, March 1st at 9 p.m. at the Ramcoda's Grand Rushmore Hall. There'll be live music from the damn jammers and the chance to win some great Upland prizes with public access pull tabs. Drink free beer from Line and Kugels and learn more about South Dakota's new public access to habitat program that's fundamentally changing how we all look at private land access. And it doesn't end there. How would you also like to see Trampled by Turtles at Pheasants Forever's Concert for Conservation that Thursday night that kicks off the entire weekend? Onyx Hunt is giving one lucky subscriber and a friend tickets, VIP passes, one-night lodging, and daily admission to the 2024 Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. The contest ends February 15th. To learn more, go to onyxmaps.com and search Pheasant Fest. We'll see you there. All right, welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Martin is our producer. Brandon, 200 episodes. 200 episodes. We did it. How it's, does it feel? It's it's a it's a crowning moment in my life. It's a, <laughs> such a milestone. No, it feels great, man. How about for yourself? I mean, yeah, I, let's celebrate, I yeah. guess. I never expected this, and I'll be honest. Uh, when we started this a couple years ago, yeah. Um, I pushed back on Scott Franzen and I said, who's going to want to listen to us talk about <laughs> pheasants and dogs yeah. and whatever else we can come up with? And I don't know. He said he thinks somebody might. So Turns out a few people listen. Yeah. So if you enjoy this and you want this to continue, thank Mr. Scott Franzen. You can find him somehow on social media. On He's connected to all of our pages. Send a message and uh, maybe he'll keep us going. Maybe yeah. he'll keep us employed. I don't know. I'm 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 more than sure he'll be happy to uh, you know brag a little bit about you know getting the show going. So <laughs> definitely, definitely let him know. It's been a fun ride. I I I am very. Uh, I'll look back on this and and be grateful for the opportunity to host this program one with you. Working, yeah, you know, absolutely. but also just the people we've yeah talked to along the way and the stories and the adventures that we've been on. Same with the TV show, but. Uh, this keeps the hunting season alive all year long, and obviously we've learned a lot. I have learned a lot from our guests. We've had some incredible ones. Um, I don't know if any in particular stand out to me without you know going through the list, but if I if I was bored one day, I'd probably go back and and listen to our first show and just you know the awkwardness of the, uh, it, yes, and just just it, how weird it. Yeah, yeah, but I don't like listening to myself, so that's why I won't go back and do yeah. it. Yeah, you can if you want to. There's I'm no chance. Yeah. Anyway, this is not about us. It never has been. So let's get right into today's show. We have another great guest lineup today, and they are all listeners of this podcast. A couple of weeks ago, we recorded a listener show, and when we put out the opportunity 
for people to submit stories and um, ideas for the show to be a guest. We were kind of flooded, Brandon. And I thought, and we talked about it after the show, let's maybe do this more often because yeah. there's a lot of people that sent in the stories. We had a handful of guests on a couple weeks ago. It was really cool to hear their stories. And I got a lot of feedback actually on that show and people just really enjoyed hearing other hunters. Yep. Um, and so what better way to celebrate stories about other people than by having other people on the show to celebrate our 200th episode. Ellen, isn't that kind of one of the things with hunting is at the end of the day, everybody gathers around, you're, you're cooking your food, you're, mm -hmm. you're telling your stories, you're reliving the day. So this is just kind of a extended technical version of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is going to go fast. So uh, Tim Erdley is our first guest. Tim, welcome to the show. Appreciate you making time today. Yeehaw. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Where are you from? Coming at you from the Cowboy State of Wyoming. Wyoming. Gotcha. Uh, did you have a good season this year? Travis, I've had a fantastic season this year. What made it so special? The chance to get out and hunt with my kids. You know, I guess everybody measures success differently mm. and I may not have had, you know, a full bag of birds at the end of the day, but what I did have meant more to me than all the birds in the world. So I, I loved it. Do you have any stories, you know, as you think back on this season that really stand out to you or moments with your kids? You know, Travis, I, I do. I have one that I would like to share with you about hunting with my kids this year on a, on a pheasant hunt. Would that be all right? Yeah. I'd love to hear it. So this year, my son turned nine and he was able to get his hunter safety card and, and I was really excited for him. I got to sit through the class. We actually taught at my classroom here. Um, the, the game warden came in and taught at my classroom and that was a really good experience. And so this fall we took our German wire hair pointer out and we were hunting pheasants and it was kind of a neat story because we got out, hunted hard in the field and we, we actually got a pheasant. But the cool part of it, Travis, was as we turned and started heading back, I noticed that there was a game warden sitting at my truck. And so we walked back and we started talking to him. And as soon as we got there, he had a, a big old smile on his face. And he said, you know, I just had the coolest day that I've had in a long time out here. He said that he was driving along and he saw my wire hair working ahead of us and she slammed on point. So he stopped and he started, started watching this and he said, you know, I get sick of guys who actually will try and race each other up to the point to get the bird, all those things. He said, it drives him nuts. But what he said was, as soon as my dog locked on point, I immediately turned and helped my son and coached my son as we walked up on the point and Obviously, he couldn't hear what was going on, but I was telling him, you know, make sure that your muzzle's in the right direction. Make sure you don't shoot until the, the bird gets above the dog. And he was carrying one of those real fancy shotguns called a Red Rider BB gun. <laughs> and we walked up on the point. A big old rooster jumped up, and I helped my son, you know, make sure that he was clear of the dog, clear of the bird. And then once I heard that BB gun go off... Then I shot the bird and, you know, it was just as a special moment for us. We got to go up there and, oh, you know how it is, Travis. Kids look at 
every single color on the pheasant mm-hmm. and see how neat it is. And when we walked back to our truck, you know, the game warden was just so impressed. And he said, man, if everybody could start out hunting like that, my job would be so much easier. And of course he, you know, he'd checked our licenses and done all that, but he'd actually came and, and helped with the hunter safety class. So he knew my son and he congratulated him and made it a fantastic experience. And when we were all done and climbed in the truck, that was the first time I'd ever heard my kid. He started asking me like, dad, how do you become a game warden? Maybe I want to become a game warden. And and it was just a a really neat experience. And I appreciated, you know, the, the game wardens um, attitude and excitement and it, it was just a neat day oh gosh i just got goosebumps actually when you said that he asked about becoming a game warden because it just like just sums everything up i mean obviously you you've given him such a great opportunity there to go out and experience the hunt and to be a part of it um but he got to see every part of it there i mean you got to see the game warden doing his job and being out there in the field and celebrating that moment. And what a great, great story. Um, I love it. I, I think that um, our listeners hopefully can appreciate that because I'm in like a same boat. You know, when you talked about when you go up and you grab the bird and then the kids look at it. I, there was a day in the field this year and we had like seven or eight kids. And we talked about the habitat before we started hunting and what we're looking for and how the dog will smell the bird. And what happens next? And then afterwards, we all held the bird, and they just couldn't get enough of it. And then we got to talk more about it. We opened the crop. Here's what the birds are eating, things like that. I mean, it's just, it's so fun to see the hunt through their eyes. And, you know, I uh, I admire your, your parenting out there, Tim. Well done on that. Uh, you have a daughter, too, though. Ava Tornado, is that right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Travis, and man, you would love it because when you go hunt with Ava Tornado, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new experience. Um, I'm sure everybody who drives past us just smiles because you might see her wearing her mermaid dress <laughs> and her muck boots and stomping through the thickest cover yet decked out in this whole mermaid dress and and she doesn't even bat an eyelash or this year we took her hunting i told her to get on her camouflage and she came out in a yellow tutu and i just (laughs) smiled and laughed said all right let's go but at the end of the day she's probably the one who's going to be carrying the pheasant um in fact one day when my dad came up and hunted with us we got a pheasant she carried it the whole way she sat that pheasant on her lap in her car seat and carried it all the way back and Oh, it was just, it was awesome. Oh, that is so great. Sounds like my daughters. I've got a one and a half year old and every pheasant that I, I showed her, she held it like her dolls. And, you know, <laughs> I've got pictures of her in the back of the truck, just bear hugging this big old pheasant that basically is the same length as her from uh, head to, or no, or snout to end of the tail. It's so great. Um, <laughs> last question here before our next guest jumps on, but um, Tim, I just, you know, like, I love what you're doing here with your kids. And I'm wondering, how did you learn this? And did somebody take you by the hand when you were young and show you the same uh, way that you're showing your kids? Sure. You know, credit goes to my father. He's the most amazing dad in the whole world. Both my parents are just absolutely amazing. I'm the luckiest guy ever. And, you know, I think a lot of it, Travis, starts from 
my dad just slowing things down. You know, maybe you're hunting along and I've just went through a chapter of my life where it was about, you know, being as intense a hunter as I can. But now with little kids, it's learning to slow things down. We are out, you know, chucker hunting and found this really cool rock pile. And all of a sudden that rock pile turned into a rock castle and the kids just played. And it's, you know, doing just as my dad did, it's slowing things down, taking time to enjoy the little things out there. Um, not only the hunt, but letting the imagination run and, and that's been awesome. So cool. Well done, Tim. I appreciate you reaching out and making time today to join us on the show. Hopefully you and your kids have a lifetime of hunting stories and adventures to share together. We, we wish you guys well, and thanks for listening to this podcast too. We appreciate it. Thank you, Travis, and keep up the good work. We appreciate it and enjoy listening to it. Thank you much. Thanks, Tim. All right, our next guest is a 22-year-old traveling bird hunter that has hunted in 11 states from Maine to Arizona and places in between East and Semph. Is that the right pronunciation? Yes, sir. Yep. All right, Easton, where are you at right now? I'm in Arizona, actually. Arizona. Where are you from? I'm from Montana, born and raised in Montana, Northwest Montana. And you're a 22-year-old traveling bird hunter that didn't start hunting until you were 19. Is that right? You know, I grew up hunting. I didn't get my first bird dog till I was uh, 19. Oh, gotcha. Well, is there a story behind the bird dog? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. You know, I was in my senior year of high school when I when I got him, and you know, my senior year of high school is during COVID. So I guess he's kind of a COVID dog. But it was senior year and I went on my spring break and I never went back to school. Uh, you know, I, I had like a remote graduation. It was kind of a crazy year. And being in Montana with that time off, I kind of just traveled around the state and I was fly fishing at the time, uh, all sorts of rivers. And I ended up in Missoula when I uh, had ran into a gentleman who was a retired fishing guide and he was kind of doing the same thing as me. And he had a, uh, it had a Griffon that passed away when he was in Utah and driving through Idaho. He picked up a young pup and he's only, I think nine weeks old. And uh, me and him got to talking. I told him I grew up with uh, bird dogs. So I was a, I liked to bird hunt and stuff. And uh, then I went on my way and about an hour later, he kind of came up to me and basically just offered me his dog. Um, what? He lived in a big RV and he didn't feel like he had the lifestyle that, you know, would accommodate to a little puppy. And, uh, I said, yes, even though, you know, I, <laughs> I live with my parents still, and I don't know if, you know, <laughs> that was probably the best choice at the time. <laughs> you but didn't ask permission. It, you asked forgiveness. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the rest is history. You know, I got uh, a Griffon named goose and, you know, it just totally changed my life. You know, I just fell in love with bird hunting and now I actually have another dog of a German short hair. Okay. And, and did uh, somebody on the side of the road give you the short hair? Or did you go out and see no, that one? <laughs> no, she's from Pennsylvania. She's from uh, Hardy Hill uh, Kennels in Pennsylvania. Well, how did you end up in Maine and, you know, now hunting in 11 different states? I mean, you've got yeah. a bird hunting paradise right there in Montana. <laughs> yeah, I love the New England. I, I moved there. My girlfriend at the time was going to college there. and I, I just, I had read about, you know, woodcock and grouse and the... In New England, and sure enough, that's where my first season ever was, actually, with uh, Goose, my, my Griffon. Wow. Wow. So uh, can you list off the places you've hunted and the birds that you've hunted for? 
Yeah, yeah. I've hunted in Maine, uh, New Hampshire, and Vermont uh, for grouse and woodcock. I've hunted in Minnesota, Wisconsin, South Dakota. Uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin for woodcock and grouse. South Dakota, I did the prairie chickens this year, as well as pheasant. Um, I've hunted in I hunted Kansas this year for uh, bobwhite quail and pheasant. I hunted Nebraska uh, this year as well for uh, Bob White and pheasant. And then last year I did uh, Idaho for chucker. And that was one of my favorite hunts ever. Really. Oh, I really, really liked Idaho. Yeah. And now I'm in Arizona. Wow. And then Montana, and then Montana. obviously <laughs> you've hunted there. That makes 11. I was just keeping track in my fingers. <laughs> I can do the yeah, math. Yeah. yeah. Well, so obviously the Idaho one, I mean, to me, that's the Idaho chucker is, is a heck of an experience, um, you know, for just an adventure, but, does, do any of the other or does any hunt in particular stand out to you as like, you know, I've seen a lot now and this one still rises to the top? Yeah, uh, this year, I think it was definitely the South Dakota uh, prairie chicken hunt. Okay. Just because I had to work my butt off, you know, to, to get the birds and mm -hmm. the research and the hard work kind of paid off and I ended up having a really good hunt. And I really enjoyed that hunt. Gotcha. So that's probably the best memory from this season or do, did you have so any? That or, you know, I love that Midwest woodcock hunting. There's something about that with the, with the dog work and, and just where you're at in the hardwoods. I really, really like that too. It's, it's one of those two things are my favorite. Yeah. I'm with you on that. There's something special about grouse and woodcock hunting here in Minnesota, Wisconsin. I mean, you've hunted them in the Northeast there. Is it, do you feel like it's, if somebody just dropped you off in the woods, you wouldn't know which one is which. Are they similar or is there differences? I'd say there's definitely differences. I think like in Maine, it's a, a lot more of a, the woods are just different. They're almost more like Montana woods, kind of more, I guess, uh, soft woods, you know, yeah. uh, versus you're not hunting those like slashings and that, that thick, thick stuff you have in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Gotcha. Oh, we got a dog in here. Here, Daisy, come back. Daisy, here. <laughs> Come on in. Nope. Sorry, Frankie. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. Frankie opened up the door. <laughs> I don't know how she did it. She literally just opened up the door. I, yeah. That was wild. I closed it tight. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, so you're in Arizona now, and I mean, you're traveling all over the country. You've hunted seven different states this year by my math. Um, where are you living, and how does this happen? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm living, I'm renting a place down here uh, right now. I'm thinking I'm going to stay here for a year. I really, really do like it down here. It's kind of nice to get out of the Montana winter and be a snowbird. Uh, the next year, I'm not sure. Next year, I really want to do, uh, I want to do valley quail and mountain quail and then a sage grouse. It's kind of okay. my goals for next year. All right. So first time hunting in Arizona this season, is that right? Yep. Yep. And what are your thoughts? I really like it. What? Why? Um, I, it's just... I've never shot quail till this year. So it's, that's a totally new thing for me. Um, it's kind of weird just the getting used to hunting in the desert. It's totally different. Uh, just how dry it is, the setting conditions for the dogs and you know, those desert birds run like crazy. So that took some getting used to, uh, I'm glad I'm here for a while. Cause I struck out quite a few times <laughs> when I first went out, but it's just totally different. And the Mern's quail too, even though the numbers are a little down this year, if you can find them, that is absolutely a riot. Mm -hmm. So if, if you have the opportunity this afternoon and uh, you can go hunt for quail, which one of the three species down there are you going after? 
Definitely Mern's quail. Just just the habitat that you like? Just the, the habitat. Challenge? Yeah, the habitat. And, you know, I'm starting to get it a little more figured out. And just the habitat, the dog work, kind of the setting of it. I really enjoy it. Do your parents miss you? Yeah, they do. I talk to them almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good for you. <laughs> They're so used to it, though, I guess. You know, I've been all over now. And they just kind of let me do it. I, I work my tail off uh, the past year or so, saving up money so I could go do stuff like this. Wow. Good for you. Way to make a dream happen. Such a early time in your life to get out and experience so much. Now that you've seen a lot, do you have like, uh, you know, this is where I want to plant my roots or do you feel like you still have more that you want to experience? It's funny you say that. We're actually, I was just talking, I'm down here with my girlfriend about, about kind of where we want to like plant our roots. And I, I love that Midwest area. I really, really like the Minnesota, Wisconsin, I have a bunch of family up there and, uh, you know, just the, the bird hunting and then the walleye fishing, the ice fishing. I do miss that a little bit, you know, being down in Arizona and I, I like it up there a lot. Yeah, no, there's, it's interesting. You know, I've been able to travel to a lot of places like you, you have Easton and, you know, there's something everywhere that keeps people there, you know, and that draws people there and it's different everywhere you go. I mean, yeah, there's. Um, you know, we don't in Minnesota necessarily have the highest population of pheasants or, um, you know, a certain species of bird that somebody might like, but we have really good grouse and woodcock hunting and yeah, you can get into pheasants, but you also have the fishing and the lakes. And, you know, if you go West, you get the mountains and the prairies. And I mean, there's just a lot to experience out there. And every time I go somewhere new, I tell my wife, I'm like, I think I could live there. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I really I do enjoy it. Thing. Yeah. Do you, you do train all your own dogs or both of yeah, your dogs I, now? And, I and trained how, them all. And like, what was your, um, you know, what was your method that you ended up choosing and why? Goodness. It was a lot of YouTube videos, uh, lots of YouTube videos and just kind of going as like figuring out as I went, you know, I was able to buy a bunch of live birds and, uh, when I lived in uh, New England, New Hampshire and, you know, train goose and goose by no means is he like a, uh, all-star bird dog. He's love it. He's just my companion when, you know, he's a good bird dog and he, he, uh, he knows what he's doing, but my short hair, I definitely was able to kind of really train after doing it the first time with my griff. And, uh, it was just a lot of YouTube videos. You know, it's amazing how much you can learn on the internet. It really is. How did you know which one to trust though? I guess that's for me, I had a mentor that I trusted and I saw the dogs in the field and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. So I believe everything you tell me. And you know, there's a lot of information out there that you can pick and choose from, but ultimately you have to decide that you trust something. How did you know yeah. which one you could trust? Um, you know, part of it was I grew up with two short hairs. So yeah. I'd kind of been around the dog training before I remember being a little kid and walking around behind my dad with a check cord, you know? So mm -hmm. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do and it was more just the training articles and training videos that fit my idea. Okay. We've got our next guest on the show, Ethan. So we're going to run. I appreciate you making time for us today and uh, more success to you and your journey ahead. Thanks, Travis. Uh, love the show. Love the podcast. Thanks for having me on. A question that we get asked regularly is, where is a good spot to pheasant hunt in South Dakota? Well, Huron is an 
excellent place to hunt pheasants. They have over 30,000 acres of publicly accessible hunting land within 20 miles of their city limits. They also have five dog-friendly hotels in town, and the Huron area is home to more than 10 different lodges and outfitters that are all ready to make your hunting experience memorable and turnkey. Huron is regularly ranked first or second in pheasants harvested in the state of South Dakota each year, and their hosts pride themselves on treating guests like family. If that isn't enough, you're also invited to participate in Huron's 27th annual Ringneck Festival and Bird Dog Challenge, October 31st through November 2nd. It's a six-man competition that you will never forget. So I guess to answer the question about a great spot to hunt pheasants in South Dakota, I'd suggest looking at one of the many options in Huron. Visit the Huron team at Pheasant Fest this year or check them out at HuntHuronSD.com. If there's one thing that we live for here at the Flush, it's bird hunting. And we all know that you can't have good bird hunting without good habitat. Few people know more about bird habitat than Hoxie Native Seeds. Family-owned and operated, Hoxie Native Seeds has provided bird hunters across the Midwest with countless acres of premium native habitat mixes sourced straight from their own fields in the heart of Iowa. Perennial food plots, quail mixes, pheasant mixes, CRP, even dog-friendly seed mixes. To learn more, go to hoxienativeseeds.com. That's H-O-K-S-E-Y nativeseeds.com to order your own premium hunting habitat mixes today. Flush Nation, are you tired of lugging your shotgun through the fields, feeling the strain on your back and shoulders? Well, no more. Introducing ReadyRest, the ultimate shotgun rest designed for hunters like you. ReadyRest is a game changer that lets you carry your shotgun effortlessly for hours without fatigue setting in. ReadyRest lets you go longer and put on more boot miles. Whether you're a seasoned hunter or a beginner just starting out, ReadyRest is perfect for anyone who wants a little extra support in the field. If you've ever experienced arm, shoulder, or back pain while carrying a shotgun, ReadyRest is your solution. ReadyRest keeps your shotgun safely pointed up, ready to shoulder. It's the ideal companion for those long days in the field, giving you confidence to go the distance without tiring. Get ReadyRest now and take your hunting experience to the next level. Visit ReadyRest.com to grab your ReadyRest today because everybody deserves a break. Hey, Johan, thanks for making time for us this morning. Appreciate it. Yes, thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. So it's Yo- Johan Lozano. Is that, did I pronounce it correctly? Yeah. Okay. You nailed it. You nailed it, man. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to jump right in. We've got about 15 minutes. It'll go really fast. You ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right, Brandon, we're just going to keep on flying here. Our next guest is Johan Lozano. Johan moved to Minnesota from Colombia, South America. Johan, welcome yes, to the Flush Podcast. I appreciate you making time for us today. Yes, thanks, Travis. Thanks how long for having have, me. How long have you been in America? And I think you do you still live in Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. I'm still in uh, Minnesota. I'm uh, just west of the Twin Cities here, uh, 45 minutes west uh, now. Just recently moved out here a year ago. Uh, but I've been in the U.S. now for a, a little bit over uh, 20-some years. A little bit, yeah. So I started, I moved here when I was uh, in the seventh grade, and I'm in my uh, mid-30s now, 36. So well, you're obviously a hunter. Here. You're listening to this podcast, and you shared a little bit of your background with me. And moving to America from South America, and I guess mm-hmm. what I'm wondering is, 
Did you have hunting in your family or anybody in your life that hunted when you were growing up really young in life? Or did that come later on once you got here? Yeah, no, that definitely came on uh, later on once I moved here. Uh, I mean, my experience with the outdoors, it, it was really just fishing and uh, just my love for animals, especially horses. Um, so then I moved here and then that's kind of where my, my horizons were broadened, right? I I mean, it's, it's a lot more expensive to have a horse up here too. Uh, so, uh, it, long story short, I guess I was looking for, for, for that, for that next animal that I could, uh, could, could really, uh, train and, and and it's so happy to be hunting dogs. So that's kind of how, uh, what got my start, uh, into, into the, the hunting, uh, community. Huh. So you had, did you have horses back in South America? I, we did. Yep. We did. Uh, and, 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 and I've been riding them since, I mean, since I could, since I could walk basically. Um, so well, can I ask what brought you to Minnesota? You know, this is, uh, I have to tell people it's kind of where the car broke down for my parents. Um, but no, she, my, my mom had a, a longtime friend here, uh, but really my parents just, uh, looking for opportunity. Gotcha. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you end up getting a dog because you love animals, but did you go into yeah. it with the goal of getting a hunting dog or did you just stumble on a breed and what breed was it? Yeah. So uh, good question. So I, uh, yes, I, I went in it, uh, to, to, to start hunting. Uh, so it, it's, uh, my, she's 13 years old now. So a senior dog, uh, she's a, a yellow lab and, uh, it, you know, basically how, what got me into it, you know, it, it was really just a TV, uh, YouTube, uh, TV shows, um, you know, I watched a little bit of the the uh, fishing channels and stuff, and I and I started you know doing a little bit of fishing here as a kid. Um, but uh, you know, it was really just the TV show. As I, I, I often, uh, you know, I think around that time, um, Duck Commander, Duck Dynasty was <laughs> yep. blowing up around that time, and, and you know, people often uh, you know give that a hard time. But honestly, you know, it was. It, it was it was a blessing for me because it, it opened up my eyes to to all of these opportunities, especially great opportunities that we have in the state to to uh, to hunt. Right. So, you know, I was like, you know, my, that's kind of why I funnel my 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 love for animals, if you will. And I was like, I need to do that. And and, and I need to uh, do it now. So. Um, shopped around. I, I snuck in at the time. Um, my now wife, then girlfriend, I, uh, y- you could say I, I snuck in. Her name is Bella. Uh, I snuck her in. I bought her. She, she wasn't too thrilled about me getting a, a dog, uh, at the time, but, uh, it, it, I brought it and, uh, you know, she, yeah, it was too late at that point, right. To, yeah. to go back. So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I got the dog trained because I, again, I was, I was a rookie. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, you know, I hadn't hunted before nothing. I mean, yes, I did have, or people that I knew that hunted around me, but, uh, but honestly, I, I, I taught myself how to do it. Um, you know, from videos to books and, you know, you name it, whatever I could find any resource that I could find, 
um, uh, I went for it. So, but I did have Bella trained because I, I did not want to mess that up, if you will. So now you have multiple hunting dogs, right? Yeah, now I have two. Uh, uh, Jeter, uh, my uh, second lad, he is uh, six years old, and him I did train myself. Jeter is in Derek Jeter. Yes, yes. Did I? Uh, did I just? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I am a Yankees fan. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Well, I know. Um, I know. Okay, so, talking to you. See you yeah. later. No. <laughs> so, I know. I, trust me, I get a lot of grief from all of my buddies because, I mean, yes, we live in the great state of Minnesota, so and yeah. the Yankees are not a very well like team. Our, but... We're losing our signal, Brandon. Yeah, I think we just oh, lost them. Up. Johan just got <laughs> yeah. so, so Ducks ducks got you into it, and now you're an yeah. upland bird hunter. I guess mm-hmm. what um, I, you know, like I think about where you are now, and this is all I know. Okay, so this is all that a lot of hunters in this state know, and mm-hmm. you grew up in some place completely different. So, do you? Mm-hmm. Appre- I, I guess maybe you can't answer this, but I just wonder if your appreciation or you feel like your appreciation for this land and the waters and the the birds and the opportunities here is different because you came from a place that didn't have it. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say? Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's almost. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say is it, it's there. Um, I mean, like you could go to places like Argentina, where uh, we, we all know it's it's huge, mm-hmm. um, and it's not too far from Colombia, where I'm from. It's there, but it's not as uh, where here is everywhere. Every state has some sort of hunting. Where you know, it might they might not have pheasants, but they might have some sort of hunting, right? Uh, to some extent, uh, you know. So it, it's not as I guess prevalent, if you will. And it's not as easy to just say, like me, I'm buying a hunting dog and I'm going for it. You know, it, it's 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 definitely a lot a lot harder. So, to answer your question, do I appreciate it? Oh, 100 percent. I I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, you know that it, it it was destined to be it's God's will because I mean you know people I don't even know how my my parents really ended up in the in the great state of Minnesota and. I'm just happy that they did and that they chose the state. You know, they could have chose, you know, so many other places. Um, but we but we ended here and uh, you know, three kids and, and a wife and two dogs and here we are. <laughs> I love it. I, I feel like I have so much I wanna ask you. We've got less than five minutes before our next guest jumps on, but uh we'll get to the wolf encounter in the woods. But I guess first what I wanna yeah. ask, Johan, is you you've you have big goals now um in the hunting world. And obviously, I think your family's on board with this lifestyle that you've chosen. What are your goals moving forward? Yeah, so I would say, you know, just to break barriers, uh, to be honest with you, Travis, I think, uh, you know, I often hear uh, with um, organizations like Pheasants Forever to try to recruit new hunters, try to recruit recruit women, uh, people of different color, you know, and you know, I, I would say, you know, if, if I could help in any way and, and, and if I can tell my story to other people that, that, that might look like me, that may just moved here or what have you, um, you know, if I can be an example and, and make them, motivate them to say, you know what, if he can do it, I can too, um, then, then that, that, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, that's awesome. So you're in the grouse woods. And a wolf steps out. What happened? Tell the story. Take us yeah. back to that. Oh, moment. yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So last day of the of the grouse season, and uh, this this happened to be in, in northern Wisconsin, and and what a what a what a blessed year uh, weather wise that that we've had that we could hunt and up until the the end, if you will, you know, with not with not a foot of snow. So so yeah, last last day of the of the season in uh, northern Wisconsin, where it's you know it's a we have a week. Um, more, if if you will, in, in Wisconsin than we do in Minnesota because ours in at the end of the year. But yeah, no, we're just coming up on a ridge, and uh, you know we had just gotten done flushing a bird, and so me and my dogs kind of try, try try to go towards the direction of where that that bird flushed, just to you know just to see um, you know where if we could maybe try to flush it or perhaps I knew we were in good grousey stuff, so you know if, if anything, hey, they're, they're by me more in that in that vicinity if you will but um so i just stopped there for a while um the ridge was it was such a high ridge that i'm like uh i'm like thinking twice like do do i want to spend all my energy uh, you know go still going after it or do we do we just retract back and and go but uh so i ended up just just standing there for a while and all of a sudden i i hear a, a whimper uh uh actually what i thought at first was um, I'm sure you've heard it before. Sometimes grouse, when they're spooky, they'll tend to chirp a little bit right before they take off. So, of course, I heard something and I, and I looked to see in that, that vicinity and I'm, and I'm expecting maybe a flush, what have you, but, uh, but nothing. So, and then I hear it again. This time when I heard it, I did see a shadow and it wasn't my two dogs running. Um, and, it was, and it was clearly a wolf. And uh, I knew where my dogs kind of were. They were behind me, so they weren't in his closer to him. At least I was in front of the dogs, between the dogs and the wolf. And uh, you know, I right away I, I, I yell here. You know, I yell Bella Jeter here. You know, because I'm you know I didn't want them to to see it, to yeah. try to go after it, what have you, or get any closer. And uh, he, the, the wolf, he or she. Uh, heard me put his head up and uh, looked at me for like one split second and took off the way it came. But it was, I would say, probably ten to fifteen. Uh, I'll say, I'll say ten yards oh. um, from from me. So it was, it was, it was really, it was really close. It was wow. really close. But it was awesome. It was, a, it was just one of those days that uh, uh, you know, birds were there, the, the dogs were having fun, and then just to top it off, you, you get to see uh, uh, a wolf. In the, in the wild, it's yeah. it's amazing. I've never seen one in ten person, yards so is very very close. I've been yeah. twenty five thirty. That's the closest I've ever been to wild wolf. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you never forget it. <laughs> you just yeah. never yeah. Yeah. ever forget that experience. I mean, I got the hair standing on back right now, Brandon. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. right. I it ended well for you, um, obviously, you and you know, I've never. While hunting, I suppose having a bell on my dogs, you know, I think that are, you know, typically when we're in the grouse woods here, we have bells on the dogs. And I think the noise, um, they, they are so smart and they stay ahead of mm-hmm. you in a way. And um, I always am curious, though, when some of these wolves get so close, like, what are they thinking? What's going on in their mind? And obviously you have a canine, they're a canine. They don't like mm-hmm. other canines in their territory. So fights can happen. And obviously mm-hmm. wolves are big. So that, that, right. um, I'm sure there are stories out there. Maybe somebody listening right now has a wolf encounter story that they'd want to share with us. If you do actually, can you send it to us and maybe we, 
do an entire episode encounters with wolves because I'm sure there's a lot of them out there. But Johan, um, you're an inspiration to us. We thank you for all that you're doing and, and helping other people breaking barriers to get into this hunting world that we love so much. Um, you live actually pretty close to me. I live west of the metro, uh, mm-hmm. a similar distance. So I think I'm going to reach out to you after the show here. Uh, but we do have our next guest on right now. So Johan, we're going to we're going to boot you out. Brandon's going to kick you out of yeah, here and we're going to get on with the next guest. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me guys. Take care. All right. Our next guest is Josh. Josh, you got to help me with your last name. Bliker or Bleicher. So what, the, uh, you get to choose uh-huh. which one do you yeah, like? The, there's American and German. So you get to choose. <laughs> gotcha. Where do you live? I'm in Westfield, Indiana. So this would be uh, about 35, 40 minutes north of Indianapolis. How far do you have to drive to find a wild pheasant? Uh, two hours, two hours on the dot, actually, to some private land that um, I've been gracious enough to give him, uh, permission on this year. So it's it's not close. Wow. But you grew up in Chicago. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we grew up in a hunting family. We were on the South side of Chicago. Um, but believe it or not back then, even when my dad and uncles were growing up, uh, just an hour and a half, two hours South of Chicago, there's just birds everywhere. And, um, you know, growing up, you know, they would always take us and we hunted behind beagles. So we were a big rabbit hunting family, but, uh, beagles will go where bird dogs won't. And there was plenty of roosters that got kicked up by the beagles. Um, so just being that young and being able to live in somewhere like Chicago, but also have that sort of outdoors element and aspect to our, our family, like traditions and whatnot, um, was, is really great to have growing up. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Have you ever gone or maybe your, your dad, um, has gone back to some of those places that they used to hunt when they were kids and when it was so good to see what it looks like today and what does it look like today? 100%. Absolutely. So where they would go and we would go as kids, um, my uncle who is in now in Texas, he got permission from a farmer when he was in college, he went to, uh, <clears throat> Champaign-Urbana and, they had hunted those spots for years and years and years. And we continued to hunt those spots as we were growing up. I have an older brother um, who would take us, uh, my dad would take us and, and we would, you know, there was birds to be had. And Illinois does lottery hunts for public land. So those are uh, pieces of land that are set aside uh, for wild birds and you have to put your name in and if you get drawn, that's great. So we actually got drawn one year or, or this year and um, we went out there and it was literally like a mile west of where my dad and uncles and we grew up hunting. And so I took a drive by after our hunt and I was like, this still looks amazing. There's definitely still birds here. So I think next season, I think I'm going to try and find the farmer if they're still around or if it's in the family to hunt some of these spots that we grew up hunting uh, back in the day. Oh, that's so cool. Um, in the story you sent us, it, you mentioned that you took a break from hunting. And I'm curious why, if you loved it as a kid, why would you stop? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
So my older brother, who's actually in Saudi Arabia right now for work, he took a job out there. He's been out there about four and a half years. Um, and so he hasn't been able to hunt for the, that many years and then some. But he went off to the service uh, right after high school. And I'm five years younger than him. And so I still hunted in, in my teens with my dad, even when my older brother was kind of out, you know, <clears throat> serving the country and all that. Um, but I think in my 20s, I dated someone who did not like hunting. So that was Ooh. a big part of why I didn't hunt for almost seven years. And then um, Pheasant Fest came to Schaumburg and that's kind of right in our backyard. Yeah. So my dad, my older brother was like, let's go see what it's all about. And uh, maybe we can get back into it and tell you what, man, this, uh, it really brought the spark back and we kind of left the fest just thinking like, we need to get back into it. Um, why did we ever stop? Uh, you know, there are other reasons, but you know, what can we do to get back into hunting? And, and so that really, uh, brought us together and realized like, you know, let's keep the family tradition going. And, uh, just a shout out to my brother. Love you, man. Can't wait for you to get back. Uh, as soon as you're back, we'll plan a trip and chase some wild birds. Uh, what's your brother's name? Ernie. Ernie. Yep. Ernie, we thank you for your service and everything you've done. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you. Um, Josh, so I got to ask, are you still with the girl that took you away from hunting? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I am married to my lovely wife. We have two uh, daughters. One was just born uh, two days before opening day this year. Oh, um, nice. Congratulations. Yeah, so she's been awesome. Her name's Rachel. Um, just trying to navigate days to get out and hunt with the dog. Obviously, he's a great family dog, but, you know, I got him as a hunting dog. Uh, so, you know, she's just been incredible trying to help me get out and, uh, do what I love to do. And, um, it's not easy, but, uh, she actually goes back to work next week. So this is, it's been a lot of good time spending together and then obviously being able to get away and enjoy the outdoors. has been really nice. Well, you've, um, also brought somebody new into the field. I think it was this year you said that, uh, your best friend decided that he wanted to go hunting and you mentored him through the season. Can you explain, you know, who this person is and why it took 27 years to get him out into the field? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is uh, my best friend since grade school. So once uh, we moved out of Chicago and into uh, Northwest Indiana, I had started a new school and I think it was like fourth grade and he was in the group of friends that kind of took me in and we've been friends ever since. Um, you know, skateboarded, played in bands, got in tons of trouble. Uh, never in my wildest dreams would he, you know, I think that he would want to ask me to go hunting because he knew I was a hunter and came from a hunting family. But this past, well, end of last season, it was like uh, January. I just gotten back from a solo trip with uh, my dog uh, in Iowa. And um, he said he uh, he's always wanted to hunt, but never has. And I actually went back and found the exact text. We were just chatting back and forth about my trip. And I said, oh, it'd be nice to have a buddy with me. And he said, I'd love to start hunting and be your hunting buddy. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So I said that got the conversation started. And I says, well, you know, um, the season's over. So <laughs> we have to... <laughs> 
um, think about next season and what that would look like. And, and he immediately was like gung ho about everything. And, uh, you know, what do I need? Like, you know, do I need a vest or a coat? And I was like, hold on, pump the brakes. We've got plenty of time. Um, you know, I've got some stuff that I can probably hand off to you. So I gave him some hunting pants, like a hat. Uh, he ended up buying a, a gun, uh, Browning Maxis. So that's a great first gun. <laughs> nice. And um, and he's a gun guy. He's he's a gun owner. So I wasn't too worried about the safety part of that. But, um, you know, just sending links back and forth of like, here's what I use and what I like. And, sure. you know, maybe you'd like something different. Um, and just asking all the right questions, man. I mean, just, well, what kind of, what's the shot size mean? Or what's what's lead and what's steel or what do different chokes do and, and all that? So he was eager to learn. Um, and that was really great to hear after all these years. And, you know, he wants to get into it that he wasn't just saying it to say it, but he was like in it. Well, yeah, I mean, those are, those are questions that, you know, this person is doing some research on their own. Like they're interested. I've had a couple of hunters that I've been mentoring the last couple of years too. And, and I don't even think about some of this stuff, but then I realized, and I'm like, hold on a second, hold on. This this particular property requires a certain kind of a shot. And if we're going after waterfowl is different than, you know, I mean, so like they're right. like, oh, it's not just a shotgun shell. I'm like, no, not at all. There's dozens of different, of different variables. Yes, exactly. Different yeah. sizes. And what does a choke do? And yeah, I mean, those are great questions, which is part of the whole mentoring process. And that's why taking somebody out for one day kind of maybe can plant a seed, but it's a big investment to get somebody up and hunting you know, on their own. So how, you know, like this season with you and your friend and what, what'd you say your friend's name is? Uh, Garrett. Okay. So Jared is, um, yeah, Garrett, uh, G A R R E T. Oh, okay. Jared. So did he, did he get a bird this year? <laughs> so we, I, I had this trip planned to Iowa. I kind of had some redemption on Iowa this year because I went solo in January and I saw nothing but hens, which is a great sign. But mm -hmm. I was like, I got to get back here. And, uh, you know, now that he wanted to get involved, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to take Garrett back uh, to Iowa with me. And, um, you know, he had joined Pheasants Forever. He got the Onyx. He's reading articles. Like like you said, he's doing his research and which just pumps me up even more for this trip that I've been planning and doing all this research. And, and the forecast comes out. I'm like so excited about like Iowa in general, but we were going to head to Northwest Iowa. Um, and then at the last minute, another buddy uh, was able to come and I wanted to make sure Garrett was comfortable with that. And, and they had known each other from like just us, my wife and I having parties when we lived in Chicago. So they knew each other. So Garrett was comfortable with, with Pat coming and uh, he's got a young dog. So we were all really excited about this trip and we get there and hen 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 <laughs> so i'm like okay day one uh we're seeing a lot of hens couple roosters a little bit farther out uh this is right after thanksgiving so i'm like it's not that late in the season but it's not like opening day so we're just getting after it, right we're mm -hmm. still excited and then day two we're like okay let's go to a new county and we're seeing birds i think i knocked a bird down that day um, we lost two birds, unfortunately, oh, and it's, yeah, you never want to do that. And mm -hmm. at that point we were just like, it doesn't matter how long we look, let's, let's keep looking. And it just came to a point where it's like, the dogs can't get them, you know, let's, let's move on. You never want to, it's always hard to make that decision, but sometimes right. you have to. Um, right. 
But uh, so Garrett shot for sure, but we we hadn't gotten him a bird yet. And then the last day, uh, we were gonna leave that morning, but we decided, well, let's go out one more morning. Let's go on one more spot. And it was funny story actually. Rich Wong from uh, Whisk Me Nord. Yeah, he was actually yeah he was actually in Iowa, and his breeder uh, with his Vizsla is the same breeder as my other buddy who came along at the last minute. So we actually were invited to go along with one of those hunts that Rich was on. And it, what it really came down to was, okay, timing, we're headed back. I got to drop these guys off in Chicago. Then I got to go back to Indianapolis. We're going to want to hunt for an hour and then leave. We didn't really want to spoil somebody else's hunt. If we were invited and be like, Hey, middle of the field, we got to go. Yeah. Um, and I had messaged Rich and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I would have loved to meet you, but maybe another time. And, and, uh, he was real polite and nice and, and, and all that. So yeah, he's a good but, man. He's a real good man. Yeah. We hunted that last spot and we saw uh, a big flush of birds. Unfortunately, nobody got any, uh, but just the fact that he was in that environment mm-hmm. and comparing me putting birds out at the club I bring them to versus a wild bird, whether it's a hen or a rooster flushing right under his feet that are holding tight. Um, I kind of felt like I was letting him down a little bit, but he assured me like, this is awesome. Like I'm learning so much. He was given like suggestions on like habitat. And I'm like, this is, this is great that he's involved, even though he's not getting any birds. Um, I really felt like he, he, appreciated that he was out there and all that. Well, I mean, Garrett's obviously going to have an opportunity if he keeps at it, but there's something to be said about the struggle and continuing through it because that reward when it happens is going to be that much sweeter, which I, I think is an essential part of every hunter's journey is failing. I mean, the first bird that he's going to get, I think we're just going to jump up and down and start yelling. Um, but so we had come back to Illinois, Illinois season wasn't over yet either. So, um, speaking of that private property, I got permission on, um, you know, I, I took him and we went out twice and there was one time that, uh, my dog, he's a Brittany, he's a little over three. It had just rained the night before. So I figured, okay, the birds are probably going to be holding tight. And we had, uh, pointed a few hens and he had already, he already knew from Iowa, like what to expect. Right. So yeah. now we're on kind of home turf and, um, Brighton go Brighton's the name of my dog. He goes on point and this bird is holding like a pen raised bird almost. And he go, Garrett had to kick it up and you could not ask for a more perfect opportunity to take a shot at a bird and boom, boom, miss. And then I took a poke at it. So, and it was a little low flying, but the dog was behind us still. And I, I actually stayed my distance because I'm like, oh, he's got this. The, yeah. it, this bird's not moving. And uh, I think it was too perfect yep. for him. Yep. Been there. So, Been there. Usually there's a camera yep. over my shoulder and they're like, nailed it. I got that perfectly. Your misses are just awesome. Uh, Josh, yeah, I joked with him. I, I joked with him. I said, that's probably the biggest bird I've ever seen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that'll keep him coming back. We got to hang up here because our next guest is on the line. Josh, appreciate you making time for us today and, and sharing your stories from the field. Yeah. Thanks for all you guys do. I really appreciate it. Thank you. There's no question that we're living through a strange winter this year, but that next Arctic blast can hit at any moment. One thing that many of us still need to prepare for in our outdoor adventures is heat. 
Mr. Heater is the king at bringing heat into the wildest places. I've used a Mr. Heater buddy heater for years when I go ice fishing, camping, and when I bring my kids out hunting in the deer blind or duck and goose blinds to keep them comfortable enough to enjoy the experience. One thing that I've really noticed lately is the cost of all those one pound propane tanks that run my buddy heater. The price has skyrocketed. That's why Mr. Heater launched a new product called the Fuel Keg. The Mr. Heater Fuel Keg allows you to fill your own one pound propane tanks directly from your own propane sources at home, like a 20 pound tank. It takes about 60 seconds to fill and it's really easy to use. The fuel keg comes with its own adapter kit, and for obvious safety reasons, you'll want to make sure that you follow the directions they provide. If you use this kind of heat for your outdoor adventures, the fuel keg is a big deal that can save you a lot of money and save hundreds of thousands of those one-pound propane tanks from making it into our landfills. Find the full lineup of Mr. Heater items along with their new fuel keg at MrHeater.com. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Walton's.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Okay, Brandon, our next guest is already on the line, Drew Connor. Drew, where do you live? I, th- I think I hear a little drawl in, that, um, in your voice. Yes, sir. So I live in Edgemore, South Carolina. Um, we're in kind of the upper Piedmont, about 45 minutes or an hour south of Charlotte, North Carolina. Gotcha. And how far do you have to travel to find a wild bird? Uh, we've got some, you know, in the general area around my house, but it takes me at least an hour to get to where I like to hunt. Um, we've got some areas around South Carolina that have some birds, you know, they're, they're few and far between, but if you spend enough time and get to know the place, you can find some quail. And then I do some grouse hunting up in North Carolina, but it takes me three or four hours to get into some good grouse covers. Um, I'm curious, this winter has been quite a bit different. Um, you know, the woodcock migration typically happens here in the upper Midwest in October and finishes in November. And those birds head south way down there. But because the, the weather hasn't 
necessarily force those birds to head south. I'm wondering if you're still seeing that full migration this season. Have you noticed it? Has it been a good hunting year down there for you for woodcock? No, sir. It's been pretty slow. Um, part of it is I've got a new dog, um, a setter that's, I got her in June. So she's just piecing things together. But the rest of it is like just no good flights of them. We haven't really had any big number days this year. Do you think it's because they just haven't had to migrate as far south? I do. I mean, it's like we pick some up with the the first full moon in October and then the same in November. It seems like no matter what the weather is, we get some in every year. And then after that, it, there was never like a day that I went and was like, man, we got some birds last night. It was just kind of pushing around the same birds, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our guests today, there's, there seems to be a theme here with a lot of them uh, in that they've had special seasons because of the people they've been out hunting with. And I feel like yours is very similar because one, you've got a young setter, but your son has been hunting with you out in the field. Can you share a little bit about your season hunting with your son? Oh yeah. So he started hunting with me and my wife from the time he could come along. He's been hunting for years with us. He's 11 years old this year. And, um, he started bird hunting with me at nine. And, you know, just like we talked about earlier, there's not a pile of birds in South Carolina. So the opportunities are few and far between, especially when you've got a shorter day, you know, I've never wanted to push him too much. So when he says it's time to go, we grab the dog and we head on out. So it's, uh, it's, it's taken some time, but this year we decided to go out to Kansas together. And on our second afternoon out there, we were hunting a bean field and the setter was out in front of us and she was running down the edge. And it was one of those picture perfect points kind of situation. She just almost slid into a point. Oh, love it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we saw it right in front of us and we ran up, you know, she was 70 or 80 yards away. I jumped in the, it was a wood line. I walked around and got inside the wood line and flushed the bird out towards him. And it, uh, he shot twice and it kept on going. Oh and no. It, it, it must've, it flew about a hundred yards out and flies straight up in the air and does like this arc and flies into the ground full speed. I mean, it must have bounced three feet off the ground. I guess uh, a pellet or two hit it, and it, it just took that long to die. Oh, it was a heart attack. It was a heart yeah. shot. <laughs> yeah. So your son yeah. your son did hit it? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. What was his reaction? Oh, man. He, he didn't even say anything. I mean, he turned around and looked at me. I wish I would have had it on video. Uh, my GoPro battery had died. And, uh, I mean, he turned around and looked at me and didn't even say anything, just mouth wide open. The puppy goes out and picks it up and brought it back to us. It was just one of those moments, you know, you'll never forget. Oh, that's so special. How about for you? I mean, obviously you wish you would have been able to capture it, but it sounds like that's seared in your memory forever. Oh, it is definitely. And it was, the trip was made then. All right, we could have not shot another bird and I would have been happy. He had struggled a little bit before that afternoon. We'd had opportunities and I think it was just a confidence thing. Um, you know, we the past two years prior, we've found some 
Covey's and he's had some get right up in front of him in South Carolina, but he's just struggled to get a shot off in time. And I think it was just kind of in his head because after he shot that first one, uh, he went on to have a great rest of the week. Um, so one day he killed seven birds, uh, one day he got seven, seven. Yeah. He was one short of his limit one day. Oh man. You got yourself a hunter on your hands there, Drew. Oh, he is. He loves it. He's just ate up with it. Gotcha. So, um, has he gone into the grouse woods with you then too? Not yet because it's a ride. And, uh, I don't know if you've got any experience in the Appalachian grouse woods, but it is rough. I mean, a lot of times I'm climbing, you know, like over some days over a thousand feet of elevation gain, just Mm. the, the cuts are so few and far between. It's not like you can just concentrate on one area. It takes a lot of walking. So I haven't taken him yet. He's been dying to go and I probably will take him. Um, I may even take him if we catch a day that's not too cold this year, but definitely next fall, he's going to tag along with me. Uh, well, the anticipation is part of the whole experience. I remember when I was a kid, there were certain things that I wanted to do. And my dad kept telling me he knew that the fire was lit and the fire was burning inside. And so he didn't have to worry about me wanting to go. It's just, you know, I think as an, as a dad, as a parent, you kind of look at each one of your kids and you just, you know, when they're ready and that's when you make that choice. And so you'll know when, when it's ready to take your son there, but man, I mean, you know, for him to be coming along on, on those experiences with you, that the heart, the heart shot bird, is that going to be, you know, or I have to imagine that's just one of those moments that will stay with you forever. But is there any other experience with your son that you've had out there in the field or with your dog or anything that can beat that yet? Oh yeah. The very, the very next weekend back here in South Carolina, um, he was, you know, he was excited about that quail too, but he even talked about it on the way home. Uh, he was just ready to get his first South Carolina quail. I think he hears about me talk about how much I enjoy chasing the birds here just because they're much more of a challenge to get on them. So the next Saturday we went out and we parked and I I got myself ready and then got the dog ready. I put her on the ground and walked around the truck and he was still getting his boots on. So I helped him out and my Garmin went off and said the dog Luna was on point. And I thought, you know, well, we had a pretty good ride this morning. She's just going to the bathroom like <laughs> most dogs do when you first get them out. Poop point. And uh, got his, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I got his boots on and uh, got him ready, shotgun loaded, and looked down, and she's still on point. So we uh, had to run up a hill about 100 yards, and we come over the top of the hill, and she's right there at us. And uh, we take a couple more steps. Covey gets up. And Mason didn't get a shot off, so uh, she she goes off, and uh, she didn't go too far at all, and she's back on point again. And uh, we walk up there, and she's pointing a big briar patch. So Mason goes around the outside, and I start heading right into the middle of it. And two birds get up, and he shoots and just folds one. Oh. And, it, it, I mean, we both yelled that time, like, he scored a touchdown, you know, it was, it was just excitement. And then, uh, we go over the dogs looking for the bird 
and we spend the next 30 minutes looking for this quail and i saw it all happen i the gopro was recording this time and i go back and look at the video i see a tree it fell at we find feathers so we look for over 30 minutes and you know i don't i do not like losing birds but especially this bird it's like we have to find it the dog keeps running off like she's not interested in the area and finally, I tell them, we're just going to take a little break. We'll go make a little loop around this cover and come back and maybe some scent will have built up. Well, I take my pack off to give him some water and I look forward and just a few feet away from me, about five feet up in the tree, the bird is stuck. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it folded it. He folded it dead, but it just got hung up in a sweet gum with all these briars around it. Oh, man. Did you guys just fist pump or hug or how do you celebrate? Oh yeah. That? Yeah. We slapped hands and hugged and mm. we just sat there for a few minutes. He was, I took some pictures of him, you know, he's just looking at the bird and it's just, that's another one of those moments you just don't forget. You know, that's just what we live for. Right. That's the beauty of hunting and being out there together is you never know how it's going to go. It's un, it's impossible to script it. Just when you think you've got everything the way it should be, it goes a different direction. That's just special time out there. Did you, I asked this to one of the guests earlier on the show, did you have somebody that mentored you or a father or grandfather that took you hunting that taught you how to uh, do this with your son? I did. So my dad started taking me at a very young age. And then unfortunately uh, he passed away when I was nine. And then I had um, my, his father, my mom's father, and a family friend kind of stepped in, and they kept me in the woods. I mean, I was like he was at this point. I could not be out there enough. It was just all I could think about at that point. And uh, fortunately, I had those three, and they stepped up, and they just kept me in the woods, and they were all responsible and ethical hunters, and they taught me the right way to do it. So that's a big thing with me and him. I teach him the right way you know after we shot two birds out of that covey that morning in south carolina and i told him you know it's when it's time for us to move on we don't have a lot of birds and they're gonna need each other to make it through the winter so that's a big thing with me is teaching him how to do all this that's the proper awesome. way that's awesome well my hat's off to you for teaching them the right way and spending that time with them it looks like you might have yourself a hunting partner for life very cool yes sir well, appreciate you making time for us today. Um, our next guest, I believe, is is getting ready to join us here, so we're going to let you go. Sounds good. Appreciate it. All right, Brandon, time for our final guest of the day. His name is Jacob Brook. Jacob, appreciate you making time for us this morning. Where do you live? I am out of Dickinson, North Dakota, in southwest North Dakota here. Gotcha. Well, um, obviously, you're a bird hunter. I, I'm just curious. We've been doing this show for a couple of years now, and I'm wondering if you listen to it regularly, if, if you do, why, and if um, there's certain content that keeps you coming back. Yeah, actually, I just discovered this show uh, this summer when uh, I was kind of getting the no hunting season blues and, uh, <laughs> you know, just turning on YouTube videos and I found your channel and I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool uh, YouTube show, you know, and you guys were in North Dakota in one of the episodes and I was like, I kind of recognize those buttes actually. It was probably around, around my hometown. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I just discovered the podcast you know, a few weeks ago and cool. listening to it really cool just to, you know, 
get knowledge about you know, dogs, birds, hunting in general, just to know like, you know, what yeah. that other people are doing it as well. So last, a couple of weeks ago, we did a guest uh, listener podcast and one of them was from Western North Dakota. And, you know, we talk about North Dakota a lot on this show. And I asked him, does it bother you when we talk about hunting in your hometown area, um, encouraging people to try hunting in those kind of places? And he didn't seem bothered by it just because the opportunities are so plentiful and he has access to a lot of private land. But I'm, I'm wondering, Jacob, does it bother you when you hear us talk about hunting and watching a show in your neck of the woods? I mean, not really. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, a young kid, it used to bother me a lot when I'd see like a, I don't know, an Iowa license plate or a Minnesota license plate, Montana. And, you know, that, that would bother you because you had limited space, limited time, or you're out with your friends, you had a big group. And now it's, it's just good to see more hunters out there. And when you actually like talk to them, you realize, you know, they're just, they're just people that want to find a place to hunt. And I think I'm a little spoiled living here because, well, this, I, I just get to go out to my, you know, a few, few minutes away and there's plot land right there and there's birds in it. And not a lot of people get that opportunity. So. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you just, some of the guests that we've had on the show today already, we, th- you know, I asked them like, how far do you have to go to find a bird? And they lived east of the Mississippi and typically uh, their travel can be a couple hours. So yeah, I mean, Jacob, you do have opportunities right there and um, it's something that's special and people travel a long distance to come out and experience it. And uh, it keeps the joy of hunting alive when people can go out and have that. I'm, I'm curious, you, you have a pretty good view, at least from what I can tell about like allowing people uh, or encouraging people to come out and experience some of that. Do the locals in your area feel the same way that you do when a blue plater, a Minnesota uh, hunter comes out? You know, I, I haven't really, a lot of my friends would say probably like, oh no, there's out of state person here. It's the second weekend of open, of pheasant seasons. So that means out of staters get to go on the public land. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's kind of the same thing where you just think I live here with me and my friends and you know, local people around here. We get to hunt this anytime we want. I mean, the people that are here, they come for what, two weeks, then it gets cold and then they're gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think get, yeah, most- we get a lot more time. Yeah, most of those uh, complaints that I hear about on social media that we get seem to happen that first two weeks of the season because that's when a lot of bird hunters get out after it, that opening day, opening week, that next week, and then other things happen. I'll take Minnesota, for instance. Deer season opens that first week of November, and then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people that leave the dog at home and they go sit in a deer stand and now there's other opportunities in different places and it just kind of spreads everybody out a little bit. So most of it happens that first couple of weeks. And then, you know, when we're out in the field, there's so many times where we hear these, you know, complaints about people and then we just don't see anybody else out there. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity here and I'm just not seeing anyone else out there. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm venting now, I guess, Brandon. But anyway, Jacob, enough about us. Let's talk about your dog, Duchess. Can yeah. You, you know, I, I, was, I saw this photo come in, and I'm like, hmm, I'm intrigued here. What's the story? Well, I was looking for my first hunting dog when I got out of college. Um, and I met my girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. But she is a, 
she was a vet tech and she also trained a lot of labs and she told me just get a lab they're the best dogs and I was like yeah lab would be nice but I'm thinking something a little more you know a little more interesting and I started looking at hunting poodles and something about it just intrigued me maybe just because it's different maybe because it's like what I find it's hilarious when she just walks up to you and gives you a bird and you look at her it's just this big <laughs> fluffy white dog giving you a bird and you're like how'd you do that <laughs> so you got so, a poodle can you paint the picture with words so that we can visualize this dog yeah, she is uh, bright white when you you know when you clean her, and by the end of the by the end of a you know weekend hunting trip, she is uh, she's just dirty and black or not black, but she's got a good red color to her from dirt and just super fluffy. It's the weirdest thing, and then has a really weird. She just has a smile on her face every time she goes hunting. She loves sniffing out birds. She loves retrieving birds. She's just all over the place because she's still two years old and a bit of a acting like a puppy still, but she is firecracker. That's for sure. So you, you also have a lab, right? Yeah. It's, that was actually when I met my wife, uh, that was her lab that she trained up. Okay. And that's my nine, that's the nine year old dog. And I started taking it hunting and then the dog started listening to me more than it listened to my wife. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, kind of stole it, but it's, yeah, I got the lab and I got the poodle and it's, uh, I call them team salt and pepper cause I got a white dog and a black dog. Love it. So which one finds the most birds? As far as finding the most birds, the poodle, she has a nose for birds that I've haven't seen on any other dog. I, I'm, I would say it could rival any, any dog out there, but as far as retrieving birds, the lab is she's on it all the time. The poodle still needs some work, but the nose on that poodle, she'll find any down birds. She'll find any birds hiding in cover. Like, I don't think any bird's safe when she's out there. So what is it like to hunt behind her? I mean, is she, does she flush? Does she point? Does she hold a range close to you? Get out there? I mean, what's her style? Her style, I would say it's, it's like a hunting with a springer, maybe a little slower because she doesn't quite have that oomph that a springer or a cocker would have but they stay out in front of you or and they just you know she's ranging back and forth but she's not getting far out like a pointer would i guess she's coming back checking on you know making checks and sniffing over here and making sure things and then she does have a weird thing where she'll flash point which i've heard poodles can do the breeder told me they can do that and she'll flash point and then she'll flush it's very strange but you know it's it's fun. It's fun to watch. Well, I think most dogs have that in them. There's this pause that happens. And I think that goes to wolves. That goes to coyotes. I really think uh, if you talk to dog training experts, they'll tell you that there's this moment where they know something is there. They might pause before the ambush where they jump in there and go after it. Um, but, you know, obviously different breeds will hold it. Um, and stand there and let you do the, the flushing. But it's interesting how each dog has differences and yet they're all in the canine world. Um, I'm curious, where did you get this hunting poodle? And was there a line of, of hunting poodles that this breeder has, or do they mostly just have house dogs? Yeah, I guess I'll give a little shout out or you know plug for Lauder Creek uh, hunting poodles down in uh, Georgia. They specifically 
Uh, they do show poodles, but they specifically hunt or train uh, hunting poodles. And so I gave them a call and they were, you know, they've been doing it for I mean, the last two decades, I think, just training these poodles up. And they're the one that I got. She's great. She has great instincts, perfect, great retrieving. The ones that I've seen that they keep, my goodness, they're insane, insanely great dogs. Like they can just retrieve anything. And the trainer, I did send my dog down there for about three months and she got a uh, good training in. And I went down there to see their facility and they know what they're doing. <laughs> it's seen poodle, that many poodles hunt that well is, it's a different kind of sight, you know? Yeah. Is she mainly upland or do you do any waterfowl hunting with her? And does she like water? I wish she did when she was a puppy when I could get her into it, but there's just not a lot of bodies of water around here that I could regularly go to. So now she's a little apprehensive to water and ducks. I mean, she's trained on ducks. She's been in water. She's had, she's got her first pass in a junior title. So she knows how, but it's just, my training has been lax on the water. So now she's just mostly uh, upland birds. What do people say when you put her down in the field? I mean, if you hunt with buddies and all of a sudden here comes this beautiful, white, majestic poodle. Well, what my brothers say, I guess I probably shouldn't say here, but <laughs> my, friends, my friends just laugh. They just look at me and they're like, of course you got a poodle, obviously. Why, why, would, why wouldn't that happen? Uh, well, there's got to be some kind of level of respect that after the hunt when Duchess goes in there and comes out with a pheasant in her mouth and their dogs didn't. I mean, they, they bow down a little bit. Well, a little bit. At the same time, my brother-in-law, he got a retrieve from her and he just looked at me like, did she, this is, this is strange. This is weird. Oh, <laughs> like there's a, there's a apprehensive, like, I don't want to say that this poodle is a good dog, but that's my opinion. I, I hope that's what they're thinking. <laughs> the best compliments come from others that hunt with you and you don't have to say anything when your dog does it, you just smile or not and, and accept the bird and hand it to them and you keep on walking. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Jacob, we appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for sharing the story about Duchess. And hopefully you have many more years of excellent hunting with her out there. And hopefully the birds out there are faring well in Western North Dakota. It's been very mild. Brandon, unfortunately, today, before I came in here, I went out on our ice rink and I pulled the light posts out. It's over. The 10-day forecast is just It's not... going to be like 50 tomorrow. I know. It's still... January, technically, but it certainly doesn't feel like it. Um, it won't be long, and I'll be in Mississippi. Yeah. Nice. That yep. should be fun. Yeah. So the Hank Hunt is next That's week. Right. Yep. And we did fill that final spot. Um, I guess what I learned, because I'm, you know, I'll talk about this Hank Hunt and the opportunity there, but what I learned is that when it was posted and promoted there was a number that was incorrect so people were calling the wrong number. oh no so i'm not sure who got the right number um for that open spot that filled back up but i'm excited to spend time down there uh, it'll be a great experience at prairie wildlife and i i have been told by a lot of people in the upland world and in this industry that have reached out to me like oh you're going to prairie wildlife that is iconic like that is a beautiful place and the owner that has invested so much into bringing Bob Whites back into that landscape. So I think next week we're going to record a podcast down there. So I'll send you that and you're off the hook for, I can't uh, wait for a few days, but it, it is something that I'm looking forward to. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a multiple ones 
because we're going to have a big group of, or an intimate group. I think there are six hunters. That's how many we had room to um, invite on this year's Hank Hunt. Uh, we're looking forward to that quail hunting experience down there. Uh, but hey, after 200 episodes, uh, today we had six guests and there was a theme about, you know, the, the previous episode was a lot of scary stories, yeah. you know, close this was, calls. This was positivity. A lot of positivity. Yes. This is a feel good kind yes, of show. Was. And I feel good. There were, I got goosebumps a couple of times yeah. during this episode, listening to the stories. Uh, just can't thank our listeners enough. And we have more. I still have enough stories to do many more of these from listeners that sent in. But I just feel like if you're still here right now listening and you've enjoyed this, you have a story too. Everybody that's listening has a story. Maybe it's an encounter. Maybe it's a dog. Maybe it's somebody that you've hunted with, an accident that you overcame. I don't know what it is, but if you have a story, I think we're going to do these shows regularly, Brandon. Yeah, I think we should. Throughout the off season where we just bring in our listeners to talk about their experiences out there. They're powerful. They're inspirational. It might bring somebody else out into the field. And that's our goal. Um, plus, if you have ideas or guests that you want us to have on this show, please let us know um, because we have a long off season ahead for a lot of hunters, but that doesn't mean we can't still stay connected and enjoy the hunt and the training and all the information that we need to be ready for the next hunt that we all take together. Um, I will remind you that we are going to be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at Pheasant Fest with everybody else out there, the largest gathering of upland bird hunters in the world we invite you to join us out there we will be hosting a live podcast friday evening at remedy brewing in sioux falls south dakota more information in the coming weeks as to how we're going to do that but i already know that it's going to be a, a game show and i already know that i'm going to roast our guests and i already know that the listeners that come are going to be able to interact with us during that show uh, so i'm going to get to work on that and then um just a reminder too that our episodes are now streaming in their entirety on our youtube channel if you subscribe to our youtube channel you will be notified every week when a new episode goes up and it's a new episode from this season every week until all of them are uploaded we appreciate all the listeners brandon i appreciate you we appreciate our sponsors that make this show possible and I guess we can say that we appreciate Scott Franzen for making us do this show, I don't know, how many years ago? Three? Well, it's almost four, because, yeah, 50 episodes a year, give or take. Yeah. That's a lot. Every week, we're back, yeah. and we'll be back next week with another episode. We appreciate everyone for following us. 200 episodes! Here's the 200 more. <laughs> <laughs>